0: to another edition of lead.exe i'm brian comerford in denver colorado and i'm nick lozano in washington dc and today we're talking about something that is a challenge for most organizations in any industry and particularly for today's modern technology leadership when it comes to talent acquisition or said more simply hiring good people
1: yeah i think that's a You know hot topic
0: nowadays (laughs) and you know there's a lot of directions that this can go you can certainly think about you know particular skill sets that are especially difficult to recruit uh, especially where they're you know hot in the marketplace uh, where you might be in a geographic region where uh, the median wage type It looks different than what the average wage type is for uh, someone who's highly skilled in a specialized area. Um, Mm -hmm. So we'll chat about that a little bit as well as um, where there are some opportunities to consider uh, buying by the drink, uh, outsourcing, (laughs) using uh, managed services providers uh, as well as uh, looking to automation and technology to help solve where some of those Talent acquisition challenges might come in. So, one that comes to mind for me, Nick, and you know, maybe this is one that you hear a lot is around the domains of data analysis and data science. It seems like one of the biggest constraints there is that if you're able to find someone who's got immediate availability of course the first question that leaps to mind is why why hasn't someone (laughs) snatched them up already Um, there could be some yellow flags there Uh, but of course there's always the question about how many years of experience come along with a degree in something like data science and oftentimes what you discover is there aren't too many years of experience that come <laughs> with someone who's available in the marketplace with those types of credentials.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. When you, when you look at things like data science right now, or, or data analytics, or somebody who's like highly skilled and power BI, um, those individuals are, are in high demand right now. And then they can be hard to find. And when you do find them, they, they cost a lot of money. So you run into that road where, um, You know, what what do we do here? How do we acquire this talent? Do we try to grow this talent internally Um, or do we, you know, just go out on our own and, you know, see what the market's providing and and try to play in that space, Um, you know, with, you know, you know, the big five consulting companies hiring people with those credentials and, you know, the software companies in the Valley and in Austin and Denver, um, you know, in New York city, the financial service firms are also after those people. So it makes, makes the makes a talent pool, um, pretty tight and, and difficult to deal with. Um, and, and when I always kind of think of it as, you know, you, you brought up a good point there when you said why. Um, and that's what I always like, try to think of when I get brought into a project, why are we trying to do this? and I, I can't remember if it's a Tony Robbins thing or, um, or somebody like him. He's like, you know, you always ask why and you ask the why three times. It's like, we need a data analytics person. Well, why do we need an analytics person? Because we need to, you know, get greater insight off of our data. Why do we need greater insight off of our data? Um, we need greater insight because we need to work on client retention and proving, you know, that we're actually driving value. And you go, oh, that's actually what we're trying to solve right there. Not necessarily the data analytics person. Maybe that's the end goal, but maybe we can start at that third step down um, and drive a little more value and maybe find someone who was, you know, an econ major. They're going to have just as much of the statistics, statistical math experience, um, doing linear regressions and, um, you know, modeling different data. And maybe that's a different route you can go. Um because, like you said, you're, you're finding people who come out of college with these data analytics degrees. And, you know, if it's anything like when I went to college, right, they kind of, um, you know, showed you things to do. And then basically you, you got hired somewhere and you basically learned on the job, right? <laughs> I don't know if it's the same experience for you, but, you know, I, f- I feel like it's like that in any field.
0: Well, there's always a degree of learn by doing, and that's especially true when you step into an industry that might be completely foreign to you, as it was to me when I came into the commercial insurance industry. There was never a time where I was going to college or in my life, to be honest, that I thought insurance. Hey, that sounds like an industry that's got a lot of sex appeal. Uh, I think I'll hang my hat there. (laughs) But (laughs) as someone who uh, cherishes opportunities to innovate, and a lot of the creativity that goes around um, software development, and you know, utility development in particular, part of what I learned early on coming into this industry was there was nothing to do but innovate. So um, it's sort of seeded my creative interests in that way. Uh, and uh, and I've, I've been sort of locked into it for a long time now as a result of those things. Part of what you touch on that I think is really critical, though, particularly when you are starting to do an external search, to bring in that talent and you've gone through the process of asking the why and answering those things adequately to know that you do in fact have a need for that particular role or resource. Having an opportunity to look within and see what kind of talent that you've got already inside your organization where you might have someone who has a very strong organizational understanding of how the business operates. Uh, or some of the nuances of your particular industry type and they might also have enough of an interest and acumen that they could be developed into the type of role that you're looking for with adequate training. Um, It's not always a perfect fit you know if you take someone who's sitting in uh, a role that is uh, you know not Uh, very analytical to begin with and you move them over into something that requires a high degree of analysis so you have to kind of beat the bushes uh, or see who's already risen to the top uh, to demonstrate some of that proclivity already and take the time to have the conversation as well as to know your people. Uh, to have a sense of where there might be someone um, that could be a good internal candidate like that and sometimes that just comes with having conversations with other leaders within your organization right finding out kind of you know who some folks are uh, who might be in their reporting downline what is it that they're doing uh, you know I saw that Sally brought uh, a pretty cool um, graphic uh, representation of uh, some uh, analysis into a recent, uh, Organization wide meeting, and I had no idea that she had an interest in that kind of thing. And as she walked through it, it was clear that she really had a command of the underlying data, even though there was some room to grow with what the graphical execution looked like. You know, that can be a perfect opportunity to say, we might have someone here who's already got enough business savvy that with some additional training, they could be the right fit to be put into um, a, a role that we're trying to actively recruit for.
1: No, I think it's definitely, you You touched on a good point, is to, to look internally. Um, when I always look internally for people for technology roles, I always look for someone who's very curious, right? They want to know why something works or how it works, um, and they kind of have, you know, um, the drive to go look for the answer, too. I mean, especially with today's day and age, I mean... You know, you can learn anything you want on YouTube, which is just really amazing that you can plug in how to do anything in there that you want to do with probably Power BI. Um, and you can get going all by yourself, probably in like five minutes, making a dashboard. Um, not to mention like the, the free products that Microsoft gives out because, you know, they want people to use their product and buy it because, um, you know, it's, it's it's not a cheap investment. Um, but, you know, I always like to look for those people who, who have that curiosity itch and, um, you know, who want to solve problems.
0: Yeah, and with that, I think, goes that tinkerer mentality, you know, who is it that likes to get in there and play around with things? Sometimes you have folks who have a very undisciplined approach to that, which is, clicking on you know oh what's this button do what's this button (laughs) what happens if we try this (laughs) that that kind of curiosity is good up to a point uh unless it might have uh some actual production impacts across your enterprise Um, but when you've got someone who uh, has some curiosity around uh, finding some tools that might be uh, freeware you know open source tools and they have figured out how to quickly build their own utility, maybe it's not very sophisticated, but it accomplishes something that actually solves a a genuine business need. That's when I think, you know, the signs are right that you may have somebody uh, that could be elevated into a different type of role.
1: Yeah, no, I like that idea. And I like the idea of, you know, kind of driving small wins, right? You can take that internal person and, and maybe somebody just needs a really slick looking, uh, pie chart and graphs and linear regression for a presentation to a client um, and that's where you can start with that lower level person right and put them on that give them something with a clear direction of where you want it to go but just let them roll with it and explore say you know the, these are the charts we need we need it to show up on this powerpoint you know give me the best looking thing you think you can do go for it um you know take take every other friday Um, For the next two months and see what you can put together for this slide deck presentation for this big client and we'll we'll all get together and um, you can roll us through it and what you've built before we actually present anything to the client. I really like giving people the opportunity to kind of build something or do something on their own with some kind of clear, um, you know, not clear Specifically telling them exactly what to do word for word, but telling them, letting them know what the end goal is, or as like uh, John Abbott said, you know, letting them know what the commander's intent is here. You know, it's like, hey, we, we need these, uh, you know, data analytics for customer retention, and we need it to show, you know, um, a return on investment somehow, uh, you know, widgets or how, whatever you want to sell. You know, as long as they know what the end goal is, you just kind of let them go and do it give them some of that free time allow them to fail over and over and let them know it's okay to try stuff and um come back with a jumbled pile of mess i mean that's how we all kind of learn right
0: i think you're (laughs) right we
1: were all that it guy at one point in time um you know (laughs) like pushing a button to go i hope this thing turns back on again (laughs) (laughs) That server hasn't been off in eight years. That's right. (laughs) This is going to be dangerous, but we'll we'll see what happens. Um, You know, you got to let your people have the opportunity to, to fail and let them know it's okay to fail. You know, as long as the intention is good behind there, we're not making catastrophic, you know, things that, you know, just, you know, send the company in a downturn. I think, you know, failure is a good thing for people.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I think the inverse of that is also true. Give your folks an opportunity to succeed. Mm -hmm. Part of what you're talking about, an approach that I like and have tried uh, on a number of occasions, is handing over a project to somebody. Uh, Explain to them ultimately what the outcomes are that you're looking for but don't tie them to any particular methodology or tools necessarily, uh, in order to accomplish that and see where their creativity and curiosity takes them, see what they bring back to the table. And often you can be pleasantly surprised how much, uh, folks who are already ambitious will seek to stretch themselves.
1: Yeah. And they'll also find sometimes I'll, you know, you'll find, you'll give them a specific task and, in their research and playing with things, they figure out how to solve something else that was not even related to what they were doing on the current task. Um, so, you know, it can drive good things either way, happy accidents. Exactly.
0: (laughs) So this brings us to another area that I think is, has got to be a question that gets answered at some point. So we address the why, uh, now, the next component of it, I think, can be the how, right? How mm-hmm. do you go about doing this? So there's there's a couple of pieces to this. One, there's, you know, the overall uh, interview process itself, once you feel like you've got a selection of candidates to draw from. But let's say that you're trying to... Uh, Source some talent from within. You're uh, drilling some dry holes, and uh, you realize that it's really time to cast a wider net and start looking for where there might be some additional additional talent uh, externally. Um, what's the process that you've gone through that you feel is most effective when it comes to engaging uh, external recruiters or uh, resources? You know, do you have go-to websites that you use where you? Uh, plug in um, candidate uh, desires and requirements, uh, and then see what comes back to you. How, how have you handled this with some of your own challenges? You know, I've had really good luck with
1: um, using LinkedIn to reach out to my network already. Um, when you kind of post things on on Indeed um, and, and all that, you just get floods of resumes that you cannot possibly... Go, you know, you'll you you get you'll get so many, you can't just possibly even parse through that data. So I, I would think the first thing probably to do is to ping your own network and see if, um, you know, there's anyone who has somebody who's, um, you know, they can think of that's in their network as well, who might be looking for a position or might be looking for growth. Maybe they're somewhere now, um, it's a smaller organization, doesn't have the opportunity to grow. Maybe you can provide that for them. Um, like I said, I've always had better better luck with um, reaching through my network and word of mouth and talking to people, which would bring me to how I like to interview people. Which we we can do in a whole nother podcast with, <laughs> within itself. I just for my own self, I hate star based questions. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, you know, it's the situation. Of, I can't remember what all the acronyms are, but it's basically like you give a situation and I did this and these are the results. And those just feel very, very robotic. I kind of like to have um, conversations with people first and just ask them general questions to warm them up, you know, to get to know them as a person because they'll possibly be working for you. Um, and, and then kind of just ask them what they've done in the past and let them, you know, talk about their experience of like, maybe we're talking about Power BI or, you know, like what types of forms they've built in Excel. Um, maybe we can just have a discussion about that. And then, you know, we'll, maybe we'll bring them in a second round like, hey, can you show us some of that stuff that you built? Um, You know, as long as you're not an NDA with any of that, or, um, you know, you're not any uh, under any kind of security clearances or anything like that. Um, I've had better luck by, like I said, so reaching through my network and doing, like more personable interviews with individuals.
0: Yeah, I think those are great recommendations and, you know, certainly LinkedIn is an awesome powerful resource uh looking to other groups where you might not necessarily have uh, an electronic database component attached to it board memberships you know board uh, Mm -hmm. even board members that uh, where you're not a member of that particular board but you have some kind of relationship uh, with other uh, board members they tend to have broad networks Um, same is true for uh, various types of meetup groups Uh, you know, whether you've got uh, an affinity interest group uh, or, you know, it's something that you can go out and search and join, Uh, you know, searching on meetups, I think is also one of those ways pretty quickly to be able to find, you know, where is there a a close local consortium of people who are dealing with a challenge that you're trying to solve, uh, particularly if it's a talent challenge for you, um, where you're going to come across a lot of different people. They're already all in that domain uh, trying to uh, solve some of those challenges today their leaders who are uh, conducting projects, uh, around those types of things. Uh, so a recent one for me was robotic process automation, right? Wanted Mm -hmm. to uh, find out kind of who's working in it. It didn't matter to me whether or not it was actually within the industry I'm in. In fact, I kind of preferred that it wasn't, uh, I wanted to hear how other industries were solving similar types of challenges, uh, as well as where are some of the resources available? Who are some of the best vendors or frameworks to be working within? Um, so that it wasn't just all she Yielded by uh, some of the, um, you know, same type of answers that you get um, when you're, you know, saddled in groupthink uh, within your your own industry.
1: Yeah, no, I and I really like uh, the the website you're referencing is meetup.com, right? And that that's really great even for what we were discussing previously about bringing someone up in talent because a lot of times they have groups and they get together and they do projects and they discuss things um and and it's a good learning environment for people too and and it's a low investment for you too maybe you can sponsor one of those meetups to have that whole group come to your office if you've got a big enough office for like 30 or 40 people sponsor one of those meetups say hey you know guys uh you want to come in here? Um, I'll buy you some beers. You know, you can have the space for free. Run your meeting. Um, don't don't try to sell anyone hard on a job, but you know, be there with your hand out and you know talk about the frustrations you have. And and if you're willing to give more than you take from somebody, you're probably going to make um, a good friendship there, a good network connection to help you solve your problem for you.
0: Love that. So star the behavioral interview questions that you were referring to situation yeah. task action results that's what it is i hate those <laughs> it's, it seems
1: so like 1950-ish you go in there and it's like well there brian can you tell me about a time when you were under a lot of stress and how did you handle it right ah oh, jeez i don't know this is a dumb question
0: <laughs> how, how did you deal with a difficult relationship
1: That's almost always one that's always asked. Sure. (laughs) But for me, I feel like I don't get a sense of them as a person, um, you know, more than I get like rehearsed questions back. Maybe that's why I don't like it quite as much because I feel like the people who ask the questions, I feel like don't put a lot of effort into finding the questions to ask to really ask, um, you know, questions. (laughs) (laughs) So everything just seems rehearsed, even from the interviewer's side. You know, it doesn't feel very personable, and that's that's not the way you're gonna interact with them every day when you're actually in the office and you're working on projects together. So, I want to kind of know someone as a person first, Um, because maybe they're just not a cultural fit. They could have the best resume in the world, you know, data analytics star, Um, but if they don't fit your culture, um, like say you're a hundred percent remote work company and they want to be in an office every day, uh, they could be the best rock star in the world. They're they're probably not gonna last, you know. Not because they can't cut the mustard and do the work, but you know it's not a culture fit. So, you know, when we're acquiring talent, we have other issues just besides, you know, the expertise behind
0: it. Yeah, I think those are great points, Nick. And you know, one of the questions that I tend to like to ask in interviews is one that we actually ask of a lot of our interview subjects here, which is about what you like to read. Mm-hmm. First of all, I I like to get a sense whether or not someone, uh, in fact, is actually uh a reader type uh it's interesting to know is that uh even a uh content choice uh you know for somebody um and then certainly, you know, you find out where someone has invested some of their time recently. Uh, to me, it's always interesting to, to know a little bit about uh, the quality of what interests them, um, the, the types of things that uh, they want to choose to explore, um, you know, topics that may be near and dear to them. And that can spawn a whole different series of questions and conversations. No, I like that
1: too. I always, I, it's funny, people put their hobbies down on on their resume and i know um at today's age it's it's kind of mixed like whether you should put hobbies down or, or interest i actually like reading those because <laughs> um, it gives me some insight to how they are as a person more than just reading yeah i'm a dot net you know you know application developer and i work on windows server r2 2008 you know it's like you, you just feel like you're you're reading a you know, a job post, job description. Um, And that gives you a little bit more personality into him as a person. But maybe that's just me, though. I I like those things. and I like like your book question. Um, And I think I'm going to have to use that. I'd be interested if they would tell me any book. Um, (laughs) It doesn't have to be a business-based book. And I would probably preface that question with that too. It doesn't have to be a business-based book because, you know, I don't want you to feed me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, think and grow rich or you know, <laughs> say, feed me some other book that you think I, I want to see or like what's What's the um, 1 to 100 or is that the, uh God, who's that Peter Thiel book that everyone always talks oh, about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's 1 to 100. I can't can't remember 100%, but, you know, like I don't want answers back like that. Um You know, there's some great historical fiction that people can read. Um, uh, One of my favorite books is Musashi, and that's historical fiction. Right. Um, But there's lots of great lessons in there.
0: (laughs) Zero to one is the Peter Thiel. Zero to
1: one, that's what it is, and Rudds. But, you know, everyone's hot on that one, you know. Or maybe they'll tell me the four hour work week, you know? (laughs) Sure, sure. I like Tim Ferriss, but, you know, I, just, I, I don't need to hear, <laughs> you know, answers you think that I want to
0: hear. If they're reading the four-hour work week, that might bring up some questions as to whether or not they're really looking for a job. Oh, that's true. Hey, <laughs> automation. That, that looks right. big on automation, Brian. So, uh... <laughs> okay, so we were talking about, you know, some of those questions asked. One thing that I like to ask in interviews is, you know, really around, tell me something that you're proud of that you feel created value in your current role or in a recent role in your past what are those things that you feel like if uh... if i were to pick up the phone call one of your coworkers today they would point to that thing and say hey this is a difference maker for us to me those are interesting questions to pursue because ultimately that's what you're looking for right you're looking for someone who's a value creator for your own organization that's who you want to bring in uh, more than just asking the, uh, the situation task uh, action results question, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not dismissing the importance of any of those things and certainly there are you know more uh, nuanced approaches that you can take to kind of hit all of those points. Um, but really asking the value creation question, I think it's one that uh, allows you to see again how quickly someone shifts into reflection. Uh, versus where they may have some canned responses right out of the gates. Yeah, no, I like that. And
1: we always expect, you know, when when you're interviewing people, you're always expecting the candidate to read your website, um, you know, find out what your mission statement is and all that. But as you doing the interviewing, a lot of people don't do their research on the people themselves either. It's like, hey, I get a resume. I instantly go see if they have a LinkedIn, see what their interests are, if they have their school on there. Do they post anything on there? Do they have a blog? Um, so I always try to do my own due diligence to, to you know um, give back what I'm expecting. You know, I feel like the reason why I probably don't like a lot of those star-based questions is because I feel like people Google a list. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'll take that one, that one, and that one, and that one. Um, and they probably looked at the resume five minutes before they went in there. Um, and they're just trying to match one for one, one for one, you know, A for B. I need somebody who who's a SQL server developer. Oh, this guy did SQL server. I need somebody who's .NET. This guy did .NET. You know, it's like they're just checking boxes instead of um, actually looking to see who, who they are as a person. And maybe, maybe I'm just a little bit. Um, more extreme on this. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I feel like you should at least give that respect back because you're expecting, you know, um, the person you're going to interview to look at your website, look at your job description, look at your company and what industry you're in. Um, so it's worth you to return the favor as well, too.
0: Absolutely. And the, I think another set of questions that goes along with that same train of thought is what's next for you and how can our company help you get there? It may not be within the domains of what this job description is today, but you know, if you're here, and you've got you know a couple of years under your belt. You want to look at uh, what's next. What are those things that really pique your interest? Um, where are you seeing the drivers for yourself to be able to pursue additional opportunities? And sometimes they won't know, you know, a well-rounded answer to that, which is mm-hmm. fair because they may not know your, your company just as they don't know your industry. Um, but it also helps you uh, start to narrow down whether or not you've got someone uh, who may, in fact, be the right type of fit for the role that you're hiring for today.
1: Mm-hmm. And that brings so- a pretty good point. I know people are always – um, that's always kind of a weird question to ask, right? You're like, where do you see yourself in five years and – you know, at the rate people kind of job hop now, you know, we don't have people who, you know, start working at IBM and they're there 20 years and then they get the gold watch
0: and the pension when they leave. Um, right. Five <laughs> years. Put, what are you talking about? Well, it's not going to be at this company. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, it, and for me, when I interview and I ask that question, for me, that's OK. Right. Um, you know, me as a leader, I'm here to help culture, you, you know, help bring them along, mentor them. Um, make them, you know, better at their job. Help them in their weak spots. Um, you know, if I'm not doing everything I can to make them better, and then they possibly go get a, a you know, a better job than what I have for them, how can I be mad about that? Right? <laughs> I mean, that that's your job as a leader is to help mentor the people who are below you, to make them better, to bring them up to the next level. And maybe you don't have a spot open for them on a team, but you know. But they go off somewhere else, and you never know. It could come back around. You know, maybe maybe one day you need a job, <laughs> and they're higher <laughs> than you, um, and they'll just remember that great experience. I I just feel like you as a leader, you have a responsibility to, you know, to help mentor and bring these people up, and not worry. Don't worry about quite as much as where they'll be in five years if they'll be here. If I put that investment in them, you know, if you show that you're truly interested in them, um, you want them to succeed. It and you know, you're there for them when you need them. Uh, you know, it's always going to be more, it's going to be more, it's going to have to be more than money that takes them away from you. And and that's always helpful. If you kind of don't mentor them, leave them alone, then the next job that offers them more money is just, they're just going to leave.
0: Well said. Let's touch on another topic that tends to be sensitive within a lot of organizations, which is outsourcing, right? Sometimes uh, it's, it's too difficult a search. You know, I think about security as one of those areas where uh, you may have someone who is uh, an internal uh, CISO. You might have someone whose prime responsibility is working on security. but. As you and I both know, it is such a broad set of capabilities, skill sets, and knowledge that to put that responsibility on a single person or even a small team can be incredibly challenging. And sometimes outsourcing that to a partner who specializes in that area, that's got Uh, a a vast number of internal resources who can backfill each other if someone's not available or you know knowledge uh, gap uh, backfill each other as as alternate experts on certain things Uh, sometimes it's better to go out and and really find something um, that's more of a managed services offering uh, in the marketplace so taking that approach uh, I like the introduction of the why, so let's check the box on saying we've determined we know we need someone who's a security uh, expert in our organization. Um, Now uh, addressing the how, how do we go out and find what that type of talent is that we're looking for in the absence of having anyone um, that we we feel would be adequate to to hire to bring on board um, to drive that forward. What does that look like for you and your approach? I mean, managed service providers, partners, that's
1: that's always a tough one, right? Because um, when you reach out, you're always getting the salespeople first, right? And the sales guys at MSPs are going to always say great things. They're going to give you customers who always give them great reviews. And you've kind of got to go off and, um, <laughs> you know, do your due diligence and actually try to find people, um, you know, who, who use them at least for me, that's, that's the way I do it. Um, I, I don't know. How, how do you do it, Brian, I guess?
0: Well, you know, that was a bit of a leading question. Uh,
1: but. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, I was like, I know, can answer well, this. No, no,
0: <laughs> no. part of the approach that we've taken, particularly, Uh, when it comes to, you know, having a buy-by-the-drink sort of engagement, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about on the per-project basis, Mm -hmm. right? Carve out a component of something that you know you need. Uh, So in the case of security, let's say um, we've got to do a quarterly uh, enterprise-wide phishing campaign. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of what we need is um, the campaign itself, Um, We need the analysis uh, on, you know, ultimately where are the gaps that we need to fill. Um, Some of that uh, includes, you know, how people are behaving and some of it includes where do we have gaps in our current security protocols um, within our own infrastructure or technology processes and then also um, how do we ultimately have an action plan that comes out of some of that analysis, right? back in that with some training where we've got uh, personnel behavior issues that um, could be highly detrimental. We, you and I both know that email is still probably the most common yeah. attack factor for... I mean, cyber, you know,
1: information security, your biggest weak, weak point's always going to be a human being, right?
0: So adequate training ends up being really what the key solve is for that. Uh, and being able to have, you know, that tribal knowledge so that if somebody... Uh, within a team, uh, they come across something that looks somewhat suspicious to them, but they're not really sure. Uh, they don't want to look dumb, but they also have had enough training that they realize, wait a second, this could be hugely detrimental <laughs> if I just click here. Um, and maybe maybe they're too bashful to reach out to IT. It's like, man, I just took that test two weeks ago. I don't, the last thing I want to do is reach out to one of our IT guys and you know show that I'm uncertain about this. But they reach out to someone else on the team and the knowledge has been shared through training adequately enough so that from a tribal perspective, um, there are other folks who are going to help reinforce, you know, I'm about 90% certain that this looks bad. Um, let's just grab someone IT, you know, I'll, I'll yeah. pick up the phone. We can conference call them in together. Um So, you know, back to the MSP question, I think, uh, you know, from my perspective, uh, the rules of engagement are usually around how do you start small? Um, Some companies, you know, they won't do anything for any less than a six or 12 month engagement, which is fine. I completely understand, you know, it's a waste of their time as well to Mm -hmm. um, try to align themselves with a client that um, uh, isn't really going to do them uh, an opportunity to prove things out over time. Um, But, you know, it's up to you ultimately to determine where do you set the limitations for that. So if it's more of a matter of, okay, great, we'll do a 12 month contract and this is the expectation on a quarterly basis. um, That should give you enough information to know, you know, do we have a a partner who's adequate to load up with some additional responsibilities when it comes to the MSPs route? It can be tough with
1: those, those big contracts.
0: Yeah. Yeah, when it comes to consulting practices, you know, it, it becomes even more challenging, uh, I think, because there is just a pretty wide swing. Um, this is where the investments can get really sizable really fast. Uh, certainly, if you're talking about any of the big five, I mean, those are out of reach for uh, a, a vast swath of companies. Yes. That the big five pretty much for Fortune 500 companies. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so so where does that leave you i mean there are certainly plenty of boutique consultancies um, there are mom-and-pop uh... consultancies there are independent practices Um, All of those things, I think, come with the same responsibility of vetting uh, that we've already walked through a little bit in terms of it can't just be about, you know, speaking directly with the salesperson. Uh, It has to be, uh, in fact, this is one of those areas where um, taking a star approach may actually be more effective if you deliver a specific challenge to find out, okay, how are they going to step through this and prescribe a challenge, uh, uh, the solution for a challenge that we, we have that's a real challenge today, right? Yeah, I like that,
1: I, and I've had good luck with getting um, smaller consulting boutiques. You know, like the one two person shop, um, going through your network, right? Saying, "Hey, you know, um, I've got to do a Salesforce CRM, you know, integration and and to SQL. Have you used anybody to do that? Now you guys are on Salesforce. Um, I, I found stuff like that to be very helpful too. Staying in touch with your network, I, I can't stress enough. Um, you know, how valuable a professional network can be and how, how valuable uh, a tool like LinkedIn can be as well to help you wade through, through some of this information. I mean, for me, I'm kind of late on it. I was always, you know, the information security route. And I'm like, I'm not putting any of my information in there because that's how they social engineer. They're going to find what you do. But, you know, I'm warming up to it and realizing that there's there's lots of power and um, and value in there. And that's another way to, to validate someone's... um. You know expertise, right? Do they write all the time about it on LinkedIn? Are they an influencer? Um, are they offering help all the time? You know, it, it goes back to that concept we're talking about. We're interviewing people. Um, you know, it's like, are are they reaching with their hand out? You know, to help. You know, instead of you know their palm out looking for a dollar. Um, you know, those are always you know tall tale signs right there. <laughs> That uh, you you know, if there's for a dollar for anything, they're like, well, you know, for me to do an assessment or just coming to talk to you, it's going to be X, Y, Z.
0: Um, (laughs) Tell-tell versus tall-tale. Tall-tale can have a completely different uh, uh, meaning for it. Exactly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But you know, like I said, your your network, um, professional network, professional associations as well too, can be very helpful to ping off to to find. Um, some of these consultants, or or to wait, there's some MSPs as well too. Yeah, can
0: be helpful too. Oh no, I I highly agree with that one. It's you know it's much easier to reach out to somebody who you uh, may see either on a client list or you know has been engaged in uh, working with uh, a certain uh, type of uh, consultant or MSP and just ask, you know, how did you arrive at, you know, whoever it is that you've got engaged or what do you think of them or uh, any red flags that we should be aware of? We're talking to these guys today. So, you know, kind of last on my list was uh, really the role of automation You know, when when do you get to a point where uh, you have to go through an internal analysis to determine whether or not the job that you've got today is even one that's worth being done by a human being?
1: (laughs) We've been doing that for years in IT, right? (laughs) That's
0: right. I think uh,
1: the the big shift was email, right? don't take my exchange server away from me. I'm not going to have a job. And what, what do they do now? They manage an exchange that's in the cloud. Right. Um, and life's better, right? You're like, you don't have to restart that thing and pray that it turns back on, <laughs> you know, a Saturday at three in the morning.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, so, backup and recovery looks a lot different too.
1: Yeah. yeah. And have you tested your backup and recovery? <laughs> um, that's always the other part of the story too, right? Oh, you got yeah. backups. Have you ever tested them? I don't know. Right. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, we tested them three years ago and they worked great. Well, that was thirty years ago. Yeah, but, uh, that's for another another podcast. Um, <laughs> sure enough, we'll, we'll call that one you know complete restore challenges. Yeah, and everyone has their story of a restore not working. I don't, I don't care, um, you know who you are. We we all have the horror stories of turning the server off and it not coming back on, even virtualized ones. I've had oh, happen, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, like,
0: no question about it. Yeah, but, but uh, I digress. I forgot where we were there. Automation. So, you know, part of why I asked this question is because more and more, um, there are just a lot of routine activities that, they may not be uh, optimized in terms of how their process flow works today, where they would really be good candidates for automation. But to me, that's part of where uh, technology can work in partnership with the business. In particular, if you have a business analyst or a tech savvy uh, PM, you know folks who have some organizational understanding um, of how the business processes are working for the organization today that's where the discussion can get really rigorous around, you know, well, let's find some things that might be ripe for the picking for automation. And again, it's not to take away uh, someone's job. It's really to enhance where their skill set can be applied elsewhere. Because the fact is, if you've got tasks that uh, if they are leaned out enough can be identified as so routine that a robot can perform them, they're probably not worthy of a human (laughs) being's attention as much as some folks like to bear hug that kind of stuff, you know? Well,
1: and, you know, if you, if you look back at history too, right. Um, You look at the industrial age, right. And the, um, you know, the assembly line when, you know, Ford came up, they're like, well, this is just going to completely, you know, take everyone's jobs away and, you know, we're going to lose lots of factors, because all they wind up doing is they wind up transitioning to being the people who fix the machines that run the lines, um, you know, they, they just kind of transition. It's not that jobs are lost, they just kind of shift, right? And we've kind of dealt with that for years in IT. I mean, especially as everything, you know, was kind of like all our stuff's on-prem, we can't put a single thing in a private cloud or a public cloud at all. And now people are just taking their stuff saying, I don't want any, any hardware at all, just put it somewhere else. Um, and a lot of people, staff has have had to adapt to that. Um, you know, and your employees, the, the, you know, the way you want to give it, sell it to them is that, you know, do you want to do something else that drives more value? Do you want to learn something new? Like, look, this automation can take, you know, 15 minutes a, of your day, every day back for you. And, you know, at the end of the month, you, you have a couple of days that, that are just free. You know why don't you work on some you know small project and, and build something that you think might be helpful for you or for us as a company you know it's a good example for your data analytics person right
0: absolutely <laughs> you,
1: know, some, you know we're going to give them a couple of days of time by you know throwing that automation in there and letting them do something that's more more value driven um if not you know something that affects the bottom line of the company maybe it's an education investment in that person then they can drive value later
0: Yeah, it's not to say that there's not going to be some attrition that goes along with some of what automation uh, allows an organization to execute differently about. Um, There are some folks who, you know, may find themselves edged out. That's very true. Um, But there are some Mm -hmm. folks going back to your assembly line example who might find themselves the foreman. Right. Mm -hmm. You may have gone from the master of minutiae on a lot of uh, pithy administrative tasks to suddenly being uh, the chief of automation processes uh, for your organization because you were on the front lines of knowing better than anyone how all those things work. And now if you're going to hook that into some form of automation, uh, who better than you as a subject matter expert to help drive those things forward?
1: your business process engineer right there. Right. Or exactly. optimizer, depending on how, how you want to title that role. But yep. you know, they can go from being the person who physically did it to the one who engineers the process and manages the process day to day. Um, which is kind of cool. You're like if this was a perfect, if this was all, and we could build anything you wanted, how would you want it to be? You know, I just let them run with that. Um, I, I mean i know automation and, and technology over time always take job takes jobs everything takes jobs right <laughs> everybody's worried about everything taking jobs but um you know you you know people as individuals have to be willing to take the transition as well too i feel like the people who get left behind are the people who are like no you know this is what i do um you know i, I don't want to do anything with with that automation thing that's that thing's taking my job um instead of being curious you're going oh what's that well If I can automate that, what else can I make it automate? You know, maybe I can have a couple more vacation days a year or something.
0: (laughs) Well, and from a leadership perspective, I think it's really critical in how we frame that, right? Hey, we've got some exciting new opportunities. Now, this may sound threatening to some of you, but here's what we're planning and here's how we're going to do it. Let's see what we can do to collaborate together to find out where this journey is going to take all of us. If you've got some valued resources internally currently uh, that you want to retain over the long term, but they're going to have to go through some role revisioning, then it's incumbent on you as a good leader to be able to help message that in a way that's non-threatening as well as to look for where some of those genuine opportunities might be uh, to help continue to enrich and grow the workforce that you've already worked so hard to recruit.
1: Yeah, no, and that's... Total. I mean, if if they're great employees you're, and you're you're doing your job as a leader, um, you're probably looking for opportunities constantly to educate them, anyways, right? And here, this automation is going to take you, and it runs, you know, all on Python. So if you know Python very well, um, maybe we can get you in there and get you involved and start doing some stuff right away. So let's send you to a couple Python coding boot camps or like a a Python class, coding class at the community college or something. Um, which are not huge investments for for most organizations you know a couple thousand bucks into to an individual but if they're a good employee you're going to get that value back
0: um, through time Amen to that so I know we we tend to like to ask our interview guests if they've got particular materials that they've found to be helpful on any particular topic that we're talking about do you have any? Uh, books on recruiting or talent management that are ones that have um, risen to the surface for you as uh, go-to resources as, as you've found yourself wrestling with similar challenges over time?
1: For me, it's not necessarily um, books with recruiting or talent management. I think Harvard business review does a pretty good job of uh, putting out articles constantly um, with different perspectives and diff- different thought patterns um, on on talent and recruitment. And, you know, some of that, I, I just base on my experience of, of things that I've gone through that I like and I don't like. Um, you know, like I said, as, as you're a leader, you're, you're a mentor um, and you should be doing everything you sh- you can to help your people as well, too. So what about you, Brian? Do you have any books on talent and development that you've... Uh...
0: <laughs> you know, uh one of the the books that I've seen recently that I haven't been able to dive into deeply, but it's one that I know uh, some of our own internal uh, corporate recruiters have referred to, and uh, one that I've heard from uh, a couple other external recruiters is The New Talent Acquisition Frontier. Um, This is a book that, uh, you know, I think is intended to address a lot of the things that um, we've been uh, talking about, even though its focus is more around um, higher education, right? Uh, the idea of diversity in the workforce is one that I know has um, been a challenge uh, for folks like myself, you know, who are, you know, I'm I'm of the age that I am and I'm of the uh, gender and race that I am, and that, that can be uh, limiting um, when we've got a lot of organizations and industry types that are trying to uh, employ a diversity strategy. Um, this is a book that that kind of takes that same approach and looks at how you start um, building sustainable talent management um, more from a higher education perspective but uh, from what i've heard it's got a lot of those lessons learned um, that can carry over into any type of industry
1: that no, sounds great I'll, I'll have to read that one <laughs> Unfortunately, my reading list lately has been kind of short on uh, talent development and diversity and inclusion i know i know dni is they're calling it right dni diversity inclusion is, is pretty big nowadays. Um, you know, uh, but it's, it's something people sh- should be talking about and, uh, you know, making their, uh, place more welcoming, more diverse. Right.
0: Absolutely. Uh, one other that I'll put out there that, uh, um, uh, has sort of a, a similar bent on some of the topics that we've touched on here is called the talent fix by Tim Sackett. Uh, and that one is a leader's guide to recruiting great talent, it's, uh, it's never, uh, you know, there's never just sort of a procedural approach to how any of this is executed successfully. Um, there are a lot of considerations that have to be made in order to be effective with it. And hopefully the episode that we've had today has touched on a number of those points and helped um, elucidate uh, where some of those key challenges are that you have to consider as a leader who's constrained with finding good people.
1: Yeah, I think talent, talent development, acquisition, diversity, inclusion, more and more. The the manager also needs to be be the HR person as well too. Right? You need to kind of have some of that knowledge um, that you know you would rely on uh, HR executives for before. Now it's kind of expected as a leader that you know some of these some of these um, topics yourself, like emotional intelligence and DNI. Um, and and, you know like the big five personality test and the disc test and 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 all that stuff so i mean you got lots of reading to do (laughs) (laughs) you and i both (laughs) oh my goodness there's there's more reading than there is time exactly that's why they made audiobooks and And podcasts uh, podcast and (laughs) um you know there's lots of great content you can get lots of great information from uh, more things than just books
0: cool thanks nick
1: Hey, appreciate it, Brian. It's our uh, solo podcast, so uh, hopefully everyone enjoyed it.
0: (laughs) All right. Thanks again for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe.